0: Brittany and I are not doctors, dietitians, mental health professionals, experts on endometriosis, or any kind of qualified medical professional. So that means that none of the information we share on this podcast is medical or mental health advice. If you get inspired by something we say, always consult your qualified medical professional first before making any changes. Today, we're so excited to speak with Julia Mandeville from Barbados. Julie is the co-founder of the Barbados Association of Endometriosis and PCOS. She's currently a doctoral student, and as a part of her role as a graduate researcher, she's the project coordinator of several research studies investigating barriers to diagnosis for Black women with endometriosis and PCOS. She's focused much of her research and public health intervention efforts on investigating endometriosis in underserved populations, particularly in Black women. In 2023, Julia was among the first group of recipients for the Mentoring for Anti Racism and Inclusive Excellence program. With this grant, she seeks to further understand the specific barriers Black women with endometriosis encounter in terms of structural racism, systemic discrimination, and the internalization of the strong Black woman schema. Julia speaks to us today about her research, how a lack of representation affects Black endometriosis patients, and her hopes for the future of endometriosis care in the Caribbean. Hi, Julia. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Will you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh,
1: sure. Um. So I'm Julia Mandeville. I am a Barbadian with endometriosis. I'm currently residing in the U.S. Um, completing my doctorate studies in public health. Um, but I was diagnosed with endometriosis in 2014 at the age of 25 at home in Barbados. It's been a journey. <laughs> Since then, um, I have uh, joined together with several other persons back home. We founded the Barbados Association of Endometriosis and PCOS, and we've just been working to increase the level of awareness and push for improved standards of care in terms of endometriosis polycystic ovary syndrome, and other underserved conditions that typically affect persons assigned female at birth. So that's a little bit about me in terms of that work. Um, and if you don't know where Barbados is, or you've never heard of it before, um, it's a really tiny Caribbean island. It's where Rihanna is from. Um, so yes, <laughs> a lot of people don't know, but I usually say you know, Rhianna is Barbadian. And, you know, we are small in size, but we are big in heart.
0: <laughs> so I wanted to say I looked up a fact about Barbados and I saw it because I love to see like how big the different countries are because um, the United States is so large, but there's so many it's much smaller countries. So I looked it up. It said there's uh, 282,000 people as of 2023 and it's half the square miles of Dallas, um, but Dallas is an enormous, like mega, mega city. Um, and it's roughly 2.5 times the size of Washington, DC. Yes.
1: Yeah, so as I said, we are small in size, but big in heart, we are very, very tiny. Sometimes we joke that you can drive from one end of the country to the other within half an hour without traffic. It is one of the smallest countries there, there is. But even though we're small, we have a lot of uh, infrastructure in terms of like our social services and our educational system and the like. And so we were actually ranked as a high-income country by the World Bank. And so it's it's very interesting that we've been ranked in in that light, considering this how small we are. But yes, uh, Eastern Caribbean country had a quarter million in terms of the population and majority Black. Um, so roughly 93% of the uh, population is Afro-Caribbean, descendants from the transatlantic slave trade. And so I think in terms of that, Barbados with a lot of other Caribbean countries is very unique. Um, In terms of our relationship, I should say, with endometriosis and endometriosis care compared to other developed countries like North America or countries in Europe, which are typically majority non-Hispanic white. So that was also one of the points that drew me into my research where I was trying to find When I got my diagnosis, trying to find information on what this means for someone like me in the Caribbean, there was not much data. And then looking to see what this looks like in terms of non-Hispanic black women, not a lot there either. And then I saw, you know, oh, it wasn't really thought to occur in, in black women, but Barbados is majority black. And I anecdotally, I knew a lot of people that had endometriosis. So I thought something was a bit strange, you know, that the data wasn't readily available to, sh- to show exactly what, if there are any differences, what they may be in terms of racial and ethnic demographics.
0: Definitely, we want to get into the amazing research that you're doing. So to start, let's look at the historical idea that endometriosis was a white woman's disease or a white person's disease um we know that this is not true but this is this was like a predominant school of thought about endometriosis that it was a you know white woman's career disease how do you think this false narrative has affected the Barbadian's ability to be diagnosed quickly with endometriosis
1: I like this question because then it can, like, it positions me in a way that I can really get on my um, podium and, like, kind of advocate more for more work in this space. I think, by and large, it has definitely put populations that are predominantly Black, such as the Barbadian population, at a disadvantage. Let's even start from the community, the community knowledge of endometriosis, right? I actually I went home recently and I did a education session and um, there were there were persons there that were you know they were menopause or past and they were like well why is this happening now I was like this is this is not new and I was like you know endometriosis uh, I believe one of the earliest records was like in the 1860s or something of the like I was like this was around before any of us in here were even thought of but because of the, as you rightly said, the false narrative, the racial undertone on how it was diagnosing, you know, mainly women who could afford private healthcare in the in the US and MIGS being considered like the proponent and the main voice of the day really did us a disadvantage in determining in that small sample size of his private population that it can only happen in this population. When I first saw that, I was like, well, this is stupid. <laughs> like that, that was it. Like, because I'm I'm obviously not white and I have not only do I have endo, I have severe endo. And I'm also like I was diagnosed in my 20s. So like obviously the whole 35 and up thing was also very stupid. Why was this allowed to be propagated? And I just think it's just the medical bias and inherent racism of, of medicine, um, unfortunately. And so, yeah, you, you mentioned Barbados, but I, I say it's a disadvantage to most non-white populations. And, I mean, we were saying before, you know, it's just horrible all around. But I do think if you are a person who is non-Hispanic, white, your chances of receiving a delayed, even more delayed diagnosis and worse surgical outcomes are increased because a lot of the textbooks, you know, I know some are changing, but we also have to remember a lot of people have learned from those textbooks that the wrong information, um, where again, they listed a risk factor of having endometriosis or white as Caucasian. And so that automatically excludes anyone who is non-white. And so you have the gaslighting, the misdiagnoses, particularly with Black women, you have, it could then just be uterine fibroids and you're getting treated for uterine fibroids when you have endometriosis. It's probably an STI, which that is a whole other issue in terms of generalizations and stereotypes based on racial biases and then you're giving people antibiotics and then making bad situations substantially worse and so I think it is really something that we need to address head-on which is what my research is about like really addressing this systemic ingrained racial undertone in terms of endometriosis diagnosis treatment and management because it does hurt a lot of people in the Caribbean in Barbados and globally.
0: Do you want to tell us a little bit about the research that you're doing? I know you've actually been involved in you're involved in so much research both currently and in the past. So there's a lot that you can break down there, but can you tell us a little bit about what your research is focused on, some highlights of your research, what you're currently doing? So, um prior to leaving home, I
1: was just trying to understand what exactly is happening with like endometriosis and conditions that might be categorized alongside endometriosis Um, and just working within the situation. People considered endometriosis a menstrual condition. We know it's not just that. We know it's a whole body condition and it has far-reaching implications. And in that very small study we recognized that even those with just endometriosis had worse outcomes in terms of productivity and social impairment because of things like uh, the pain and the heavy bleeding and then when i moved to the us and i started pursuing my phd i was like we need to like really get to the root as to why our pain is not being taken seriously and particularly as as black women It's no secret that Black women's pain is not taken as seriously. It's no secret that, unfortunately, in medical school, uh, doctors still believe that Black people's skin is thicker, has less nerve endings, and, you know, we have a higher pain threshold. And so, with that being said, I wanted to really understand why... Were we not just getting delayed diagnoses? Like, I think there was a study that said three years longer on average, but also like, what does this actually mean within our communities that do not really understand what endometriosis is outside of it? Like, making you have, you know, painful periods or affecting your fertility, like, what does this really mean for us? And so... As you rightly said, there are a lot of studies that are ongoing. The first major one is um, EndoServed, which was really in partnership with Lauren and Endo Black, really drilling into the community-based participatory research approach. As I said, I am a Barbadian living in America. And so I can't kind of speak to the experiences of Black Americans going through the American healthcare system. When I approach my healthcare system in Barbados, there are barriers, but the barriers are, are different compared to those in the U.S. So I thought, if I'm going to do this, I really need to partner with Endo Black and have their voices from pre-planning. So they're actually a part of the research team. It really is to try to get an idea as to what are some of the the biggest issues in terms of Black women and endometriosis. And so we did that pilot study. We are expanding that. Originally, it was a pilot study in the D.C., Maryland, and Virginia area because endo-Black is based in Maryland. So we thought it would be ideal to pilot it where they're located. Um, And my university is in Virginia, so it just (laughs) worked out that way. Um, But we do plan to go national with this because the response was just so great. So that is endo served. And it's really a study to have the voices of those who have been underserved for so long brought to the table and more or less have the space to serve them. Then with the MARIE grant that I received, I'm looking at it more qualitatively I'm looking through generations in multiple ways. So generationally in terms of families who um, may have endometriosis throughout the family as well as persons like myself who may have immigrated to the US. So then generational status occurs like that as well, where you have people that are first gen, second gen, and try to understand, again, what it looks like within their social setting, within their family dynamic, particularly for Persons who have family members that, again, have never heard of this condition, still aren't quite sure what to make of it, and don't know really how best to support their family member that is dealing with endometriosis. Um, In the Marie study, um, I'm also interviewing practitioners, specifically Black women, physicians that have patients that also have endometriosis to get what they think um, could be some issues as it pertains to stigma and discrimination, delays in diagnoses and, and the like. And those interviews have been, by opening, still assessing and quoting those interviews um, as we were speaking right now. So it's a lot of heavy work, but it's a lot of needed work. So with Marie, we just finished our recruitment for the qualitative study. We have more than we anticipated in terms of people ready to sit down in the focus groups and have conversations. So very excited about that. And so we're going to code, we're going to look at those means, and we're going to see exactly what this means in terms of generational status but also looking through the lens of what it means to be a strong Black woman and how that then impacts your path to diagnoses and then, you know, your journey after that diagnosis and navigating those spaces. So that was a lot, (laughs) but um, there's also one more study I do want to mention that I am doing. So all of these studies are with my supervisor, Dr. Junkudupta. Gupta. But she also got a grant from the Office of Women's Health. And we are looking at developing a gaming app to reduce stigma, particularly within populations of adolescents that identify as Black or Latinx or Hispanic in terms of, again, trying to address the gross underrepresentation in endometriosis research with persons who are non-white. And so that is also a very exciting project. And Lauren is on, on our team there as well. Just, again, bringing the voice from the community along with Endo Black.
0: Wow, Julia. First, I really just want to commend you on all of the research initiatives that you're part of. I think it is definitely a lot of hard work to be carrying out so many different initiatives um, I'm really happy that you're partnered with Endo Black for some of these because I know that Lauren and Endo Black are doing really great work within the community themselves. So I'm really glad that you have that mutual support to carry on with such important research for our endometriosis community and specifically for Black and underrepresented and underserved members of our community. So you talked a little bit about the Marie Grant, which congratulations, first of all, for getting that. Um, I know you were telling me earlier, so I just wanted to expand that you were among the first group of recipients to get the Marie Grant. And Marie stands for Mentoring for Anti-Racism and Inclusive Experience. And basically, this is an initiative that's sponsored by George Mason University's Office of the Provost. So you've written that the Marie Grant seeks to further understand the specific barriers Black women with endometriosis encounter in terms of structural racism, systemic discrimination, and internalization of the strong Black woman schema. So I really just wanted to highlight your incredible work and the fact that you were one of the first recipients of this grant.
1: Well, thank you for that. I just wanted to, I guess, reiterate that, you know, the Marie grant is an overarching grant. So I submitted the proposal specifically for this particular study, but there are a whole other host of other wonderful (laughs) non-ENDO-related studies underneath that Marie grant through GMU's Office of the Provost. Um, So I'm just really thankful that they thought that my project was, you know, valuable. (laughs) I'm just really excited to keep doing the work with them and with Lauren and Endo
0: So I had wanted to ask you, we've talked about how there's this lack of representation for Black people within the endometriosis community. So that's an obstacle that you face is a lack of representation. And this is both in clinical trials and in the endo advocacy space and among like medical treatment and pretty much in all areas of the endometriosis community. Um, So I'm just wondering how, how has this lack of representation affected you? And do you think this is one of like your major personal drivers in your studies and your research?
1: Yes. I mean, yes to the last question. It is Definitely, I'm a strong believer in nothing about us, without us, as well as, you know, representation matters, particularly as it relates to culture and history and how you identify in terms of, or how I identify, I should say, in terms of being a Black person. I think it's really important to also recognize that history in terms of healthcare and medicine in the US, obviously, but overall. And so I I, I did take it personally, <laughs> um, but I wasn't seeing a lot of studies representing black people with endometriosis. I feel like There is a lot more of a conversation about that happening now, post 2020, especially. Overdue, but good, we're we're getting there. But I also think that we can't forget that when we're having these conversations, to center those at the margins. You know, I consider myself at the margin in terms of being Black, in terms of being a woman, in terms of being Caribbean. But I also recognize my privilege in terms of where I am situated socioeconomically and where I am in terms of um, my my pursuits educationally and academically. So I am not ignorant to the fact that I do have levels of privilege within you know, my levels of oppression as well. And you know, it all comes back to, down to intersectionality, right? And I don't think in a lot of the spaces that there is a true understanding of intersectionality. I think some people do toss around the word They get the gist of it, but I think a lot of people do need to remember that intersectionality was coined and developed to identify and address and speak truth to those systems of power and discrimination that have oppressed Black women, Black uh, LGBTQIA plus persons, and, you know, recognize that, these are the voices that really should be um, speaking to what the gaps are now. Like, I think we've been trying for so long, and we, in terms of the endometriosis community, have been trying for so long to address a lot of the gaps. But I think one of the major issues in trying to address those gaps is neglecting to have these voices of the historically marginalized populations like there, and not as like token voices either. <laughs> Like, just recognize that our experiences will play a pivotal role in improving these outcomes. Like, you know, in terms of like clinical trials, why are you going to have a clinical trial and still have like a majority non-Hispanic white population and not recognize that you know there's something fundamentally wrong if you're not you're not correcting the wrongs from like Migs and those days if you you don't have persons of color involved within these trials when it comes to policies and legislations. There are things that we have to think about, particularly in the US, in terms of historic systemic racism that all probably need to be addressed when you're thinking about these policies for endometriosis care and research. So I think it's really important to learn from the mistakes of the past and not continue to make them and then in terms of in barbados if i can bring it back to barbados yeah we're predominantly black but most of the textbooks are made in the u.s are made in the uk and so the information is not necessarily you know catered to the Caribbean population right it's just generalized medical education, full stock. And so the Caribbean context is not necessarily always integrated into the textbooks. And so that is also something that should be considered in terms of endometriosis and the standard of care moving forward. Caribbean and other regions that just have not been really considered when we think of endometriosis. So I I just remember when I read that study by Donald Chatham and he reevaluated a hundred and I think it was 119 black women who came in and they were complaining about chronic pelvic pain and they were dismissed. And then when he reevaluated, he found like 20% of them actually had endometriosis when they were told they had something else. And so unfortunately, that still softens. Today, where people are told that you have uterine fibroids or you have this or you have that when you're a a Black woman or a Black person or a person of color, and in order to, to stop that from happening or reduce the instances of that happening, we really do need to, we keep saying change the narrative, you need to change the narrative, but you need to ensure that you have those diverse voices at the table when you're talking about changing the narrative as well.
0: Yeah, I think it's so hard to change the narrative if the people in power are just not aware that the narrative needs to change or they're vaguely aware that, okay, we need to have more inclusion or representation. But if you're not speaking to the people who are not being represented, if you're not speaking to the people who are historically marginalized, then how are you going to be able to change the narrative if you don't have that insight, right? And I think we see this very often that you know the system of power designs the system for people that are like them that look like them that have the identities that they hold and this is a really big problem that then these systems they don't work for people who are not of those identities when it comes to medical care this is a massive problem because with medical care this can literally lead to adverse outcomes we know that black people black women have here in the united states uh, worse outcomes in terms of maternal mortality right in terms of endometriosis as you said takes longer to be diagnosed i believe more hysterectomies are performed on black people with endo versus non-black people with endo Mm -hmm similar for like open surgery, more open surgeries on non-white people than on white people, right? And so Mm -hmm. we're looking at worse diagnosis, worse treatment, worse outcomes, because our care is not considering all the populations that have endometriosis. It's been very focused on, you know, specifically white cis women with endometriosis. I would go even
1: further to say all that is true, but I think there's the also recognition that again, yes, uh, we recognize that other persons from different racial and ethnic backgrounds will have endometriosis. But in terms of those worst surgical outcomes, it's not a provision of, in terms of informed consent, right? It's not necessarily like, like a consideration, like are the provision of all of the options. It's either this very, you know, invasive um, surgery or nothing at all. One of the studies that I'm thinking about right now, with the worst surgical outcomes, even said that, you know, black and brown persons of younger ages were getting oophorectomies at younger ages related to endometriosis surgery compared to to the white participants in those studies, and it just brings to question. Now we're talking about like medical racism and what role does that play in terms of treatment options because yeah you're you're getting the surgery but why are these black and brown persons getting more aggressive surgeries compared to non-hispanic white women and so i found that and this is just anecdotally that they are more black and brown persons that i've spoken to again anecdotally no data official empirical data here but are just willing to forego surgery now and just you know deal with it without having surgery and at one point i was like I, i couldn't understand it thinking about it just thinking about the theory and thinking about you know you know Scopic surgery is the best option. You know, Excision surgery is the best option. But if, you know, the spaces where you are, there's no excision surgeon and the person, but the options you have are not considerate of that, then you might forego surgery. So I also think we also have to think about those nuances in terms of, you know, where you're situated socially. And yeah, we can say that laparoscopic excision surgery is the best option option but what do we do for people who can't access that whether or not it's due to geographic restrictions or socioeconomic restrictions or even you know something as as insidious as medical racism and just trying to avoid worse surgical outcomes right those are things we also need to consider i think in this space now
0: Earlier, you mentioned when you were beginning your research study that you partnered up with Endo Black, as that organization has inherent knowledge of the obstacles that Black people in America face with endometriosis care. And you had mentioned that in Barbados, the obstacles are a little bit different. Would you let us know what are some obstacles within Barbados or in the Caribbean that you found either obstacles to diagnosis or treatment or even just being believed or? In any way that affects the endometriosis experience okay so
1: <laughs> when i was first told i have endometriosis and i decided that i was going to do more research on it i was told no one cares about endometriosis point blank no one cares and so i thought well, oh, that's strange because i care during the process of advocacy, I do I did recognize that no one cared because we didn't know enough, right? We just thought, I can, I can admit, no, like, you know, that awful definition of endometriosis, you know, we used that for a couple of years and then it was like, oh, that's wrong. We need to cut that. We can't use that because it's not, that's not what it is. But, you know, we just thought it was really associated with, you know, your reproductive health and menstruation. And that is what a lot of people, think in Barbados and the Caribbean. It's only after we decided to like immerse ourselves in the research, we recognize, oh wait, this is so much more than what we thought it was. And so it's been a journey of educating ourselves and educating the community, including the medical community, along with us and saying, you know, we actually had one year, our theme for endometriosis awareness month was, it's more than a reproductive health condition because it was really ingrained that that was it you know it affected your menstrual cycle it affected your chances of becoming pregnant and those were like the major issues with it but then we started reading about lung collapses and organ loss and you know just the cost the depleted quality of life which we knew anecdotally because we were all experiencing it we being the persons in the community in my organization. But then there were studies that were like showing this was actually really happening. And it's not just quote unquote all in our heads. And so it has been that journey of educating. So I think that was one of the major barriers, like bringing it out of just the reproductive health sphere, because that had been like all the time, you know, you just got to get pregnant. So I see, you know, A lot of people are told, if you want to get pregnant, you got to get pregnant now. Or if you get pregnant, you can, quote unquote, cure endometriosis. And we're just like, that's not the case. So have a hysterectomy. And we're like, no. The persons at home that do the outreach, they will say like, that's like one of the things that they continue being, have to keep like battling that whole notion of it being just something that affects your reproductive health. That's the exact reason why we're educated. So like when you see younger persons or even your friends and family who may be complaining of these symptoms, because we give them a whole set of symptoms, not outside of the chronic pelvic pain, but other symptoms that can be associated with endometriosis, to not dismiss that, right? Because there's been stigma associated with menstruation, right? Like we don't like to talk about periods. We don't like to talk about period blood. And that in of itself has been one of the biggest hurdles that we have tried to overcome because a lot of people with endo do have that chronic pelvic pain. And if you dismiss that chronic pelvic pain, which happened with me, which happened with a lot of people, then you have that contributes to that delayed diagnosis. It contributes to the gaslighting. It contributes to the silencing. And so we really also try to address that within our community but it's just doing that and also saying but it's not just that right you need to understand that endometriosis is a whole body condition and yes that is one of the major indicators but it's not just that um more and more actually i'm hearing persons within the caribbean within black populations talk about like lung collapses with endo And I'm thinking, is it a different presentation within these populations that just has not been investigated? We don't know, but we don't want to dismiss, you know, anything anymore. And just being sensitive. Don't tell people to get pregnant. I think that should be really obvious by now. But yeah, it's still uh. or don't ask people like, when are you going to give your parents grandchildren? Because that also happens a lot within our community. Like grandchildren are just like prized possessions. And I get it, I understand. But at the end of the day, that can be very, very traumatic um, for persons who do have infertility or subfertility associated with their endometriosis. So it's about trying to remove In terms of Barbados and the Caribbean, remove the veil, for lack of a better um, word, off of what endometriosis is and exposing it as the ugly beast it is, because it really is. In the last session we did, we called it a monster because people are like, it can only be a monster if it's like doing this. I'm like, yeah, we can say that. And really showing, like, it's not something to be dismissed, it's not something to be minimized. And we want to be active and productive members of society. We're not asking for pity. We're not asking for sympathy. We're just asking for appropriate resources and understanding in terms of our our community and our psychosocial well-being. Just be aware of what you're saying to people. Be aware of your expectations on people because you know they're a the same female at birth and thus they should be able to have children. Everyone doesn't want to have children. Let's start there. So let's let's just like reorient ourselves to just be good human beings to each other, and go from there. But yeah, the biggest barrier was just pulling endometriosis out of just reproductive because it was very much in there um, within the scope of, I guess, saying Barbados. But we are working more and more with um, a lot of partners to change what people perceive endometriosis to be. And I think that we are getting some success. Um, More and more medical practitioners are saying they're learning a lot more because of the work we're doing. So that is heartening. And there's more referrals happening in terms of, you know, you might have this and it might not be where I could handle it. So maybe I need to bring in someone else on my team, like a gastroenterologist or, you know, a cardiothoracic surgeon and, you know, having people work together and have that multidisciplinary care approach that we so desperately need globally in terms of endometriosis treatment and management
0: you know when people think it's just a reproductive disease not only is not only does that not do justice to this beast as you said like this disease is a monster and this disease has the capacity to literally wreck every aspect of your life and it certainly has for so many of us so not only just not doing it justice but you know then that can lead to this dismissal or the not getting the care that we need because when endometriosis is boxed into this incorrect idea that it's just a period disease or it's just like reproduction then what happens to the people whose symptoms don't line up with period pain or worsening of symptoms around their period um we know that there's a lot of people with endo who have period pain and you know very severe period pain or worsening of symptoms during their period But there's also a lot of people who don't. There's also people who have had a hysterectomy or are postmenopausal or are premenarchal and haven't even got their period yet. Or their symptoms are gastrointestinal. Their symptoms are lung collapses, like you said. So, you know, when it's just boxed into, it's a period disease we're we're leaving behind all these people who don't fit into that box. And then because of things like misogyny racism ableism and all that the gaslighting can be so so bad right and it's being called the hypochondriac and it's on your head and well that's not really real and so honestly it's just this it's this horrible mess of problems to care all because we have been so focused on endometriosis being a menstrual disease which it's not kudos to your organization for educating the population about that, educating both patients and practitioners about that. Um, And I think that's really education that, that we need globally. And I know that we were talking earlier about, you know, how the endometriosis standard of care globally is just so abysmal, right? Like it's just globally, there are so many problems with the standard of care. And as you were saying, excision is our gold standard treatment, but it is so inaccessible for a multitude of reasons. And we're being told, just get pregnant, just have a hysterectomy. All these myths abound about endometriosis. I'm wondering for you in Barbados, how was your own personal experience with endometriosis care within Barbados and within the Caribbean?
1: it definitely will vary where you are in the caribbean i i want to preface it like that the situation in terms of socioeconomic situation and even things like geography <laughs> actually play a huge huge role in accessing care in the caribbean regions like so with me in barbados specifically i would say that i when i when i did get my diagnosis which took like 15 years to get, I should add. So it was long. For me, my symptoms occurred around my menstrual cycle. So I can say that for me. So for my very first cycle, it was excruciating fetal position. And it never, never stopped. But again, I was being told that's normal, right? It will get better as I got older. It did not get better and then I got two ruptured cysts and then I was told I think with everything you probably have this condition and so at my surgery so not only do I have endo I have severe endo all of the adhesions and the like were there so then after that I was offered options um because I I asked questions I asked a lot of questions and I was told in terms of what was available, I was put on a GNRH agonist. it worked in terms of I did not have pain, but everything else was awful horrible. Um, I went through you know premature menopause between 25 and 26 so that was not fun. I just thought I would rather have the the, the periods at this point in time. I just couldn't anymore. So I did the six months and I never went back on it. And then I tried changing my diet. I, I tried a whole slew of things Um, because at that point in time, I believe excision surgery was not accessible in Barbados. I think the next thing would have been ablation. And I knew enough to know that that was not the route I wanted to go. So I then found medication. It's available in like, Barbados and I think Europe and Canada, just not the, not the U.S. It was a progestin pill that I was taking. And that was what I was using for a very, very long time because it worked. It worked for me until I started to gain weight rapidly. We always tell people, this. unfortunately, it tends to be between a rock and a hard place when you're looking at, at these options so with the rapid weight gain it was getting to be unsustainable and it was affecting other aspects of my health so then i had to stop medication and i am currently in the process of working my way towards excision surgery at this point in time and so that's my journey Everyone's journey looks different. There are some people that have had exigent surgery in Barbados because since then, there are people that are able to do it. A lot of persons have shared that their lives have improved tremendously since having their surgeries. Um, And so I'm happy for them. Those were privately accessed. So we have to remember in terms of access to care, it's not as easy. There's that price barrier, that cost barrier that prevents people from getting excision surgeries. And so a lot of people will go on hormone suppression to, to manage their symptoms until better can be done. My heart breaks because we know, in theory, better can be done. But because of these socioeconomic barriers, it's just a situation of doing the best you can until you can do better. So yeah, we we are currently as an organization trying to see what we can do to increase more access to information and access to care. But I need to be aware and my organization needs to be aware of the fact that there are a lot of costs prohibitive barriers and so what we have tried to do within our limited um, budget (laughs) is however we can help people um, once they reach out to us um, in terms of financial support we give a portion it's not going to be the whole thing unfortunately just because we don't have a never-ending supply of money to do that but we do understand that it's helpful to have pain relief as quickly and as effectively as possible under medical guidance and care so that's what what we do um and yeah but i think in terms of what it looks like in barbados and access to care i think the same financial barrier that a lot of people in the u.s face we face in barbados too so there's no substantial difference there there's there is a lot of hormonal suppression though that has been touted and for me i think it's about presenting all options as opposed to just presenting hormonal suppression as the only option and that's where i have a a major issue with how some people may talk about endometriosis treatment and management present all the options to your patients even if you can't perform the surgery let them know that you know gold well, standard of care is excision surgery and you know i might not be able to do it but there are other people who can do it and give them some guidance or send them to our organization and we can help them identify someone but don't just help suppression as the best and only because we know it's not
0: Yeah, this is a huge, huge problem, especially in the United States as well. We hear this a lot, especially with the 2018 release of the GNRH antagonist with all the hype about how it's this, you know, revolutionary endometriosis drug. And now a lot of people go to the doctor and the doctor is basically like, okay, you have two options, which is Orlissa or live with it or Orlissa or birth control the information is not being presented to the patient. So how is the patient expected to make an informed decision? Um, And that is just really, it's just really sad, you know, that as patients, we have to work so hard to educate within our community, because the medical system is failing us so badly. And that's just, it's just really disgraceful. What would you like to see for the future of endometriosis treatment and advocacy?
1: I love this question because I'm trying to be—I'm a realist, but I also try to be positive. <laughs> um, so I—I'm going to start with my region, the Caribbean. Our region is wonderful. We have so many great people, um, rich history, rich heritage, rich culture, and so I would just love to see more research more interest, more investment in what endometriosis looks like for us and what can be do, what can be done to improve the standard of care and improve outcomes for persons with endometriosis within the region. It holds a very, very special place in my heart. And so I just want us to, be considered like and not be ignored like we have been or not even like people don't even a lot of people don't even know the, the, what the keeper of the caribbean is so just more awareness about the caribbean more awareness about how awesome we are and more investment in our people because we do have we, we give so much to the rest of the world like i said there's rihanna um <laughs> Um, our Prime Minister, Mia Motley, she's been making so many like big waves in terms of the conversation about climate change and the effects on small island developing states. Culturally, we export our culture. So many things come out of Jamaica and Trinidad and lots of leaders that live in other places but have their roots in the Caribbean, contribute to the development and... Progress in so many other nations. So, I think it's about time that more is poured into the Caribbean to help those who still live there and help improve our healthcare system as a whole. More specifically, improve what the endometriosis standard of care looks like. So, more people developing multidisciplinary centers for endometriosis. And you know, more training for excision specialists in-house training for excision specialists in the Caribbean. So that it's not a case of more persons having to leave the region to come to the US or Europe or wherever they go, so that it's not even more expensive to, to get that treatment. So that's what I would I would love to see more representative research of who we are in terms of Barbados specifically, predominantly black, other countries predominantly black, but then what we are as a as a Caribbean country, um, Caribbean region, sorry. We are very, very unique. And I just want the data to reflect and then we use that to. Develop the policies, develop procedures, develop the guidelines, and improve outcomes for healthier Caribbean people.
0: You know, when you're speaking, I was thinking about two things. Um, first is something we had touched on a little bit before we started recording, um, where we were saying that, you know, one of the obstacles for Caribbean people and for different people worldwide is that. With endometriosis, sometimes we choose to leave our country or leave our region um, in order to access care in another country. But I think something that can often be overlooked by like U.S. passport holders or European passport holders is how difficult it can be to travel between the countries and between regions due to many countries need a visa just to travel into the United States, you know, so in Barbados, uh, you know, you need a visa just to come into the United States. Um, Other countries too, like Mexico, Ecuador, different countries that just need visas just across our just across our borders, right? So that's already a huge obstacle into accessing care is not being able to like, Freely travel around with a with the passport and needing to not only get a visa but in some countries like in the United States, the wait to get a tourist visa or it's a tourist slash medical visa you know it can be up to a year before you even are able to present for your appointment in the consulate and they can always say no to you and that process costs money it costs money just to secure you know the appointment with the the consulate. And then another thing is just different exchange rates, right? So you're saying like, oh, well, you know, Barbados doesn't need a visa to go to England. But I mean, the pound is the strongest currency in the world. You know, when you compare that to the US dollar, the Canadian dollar, the Barbados dollar, I mean, that just like your money just like cuts in half when you get into these countries that have a a stronger exchange rate. So, I just wanted to bring that up as an obstacle to care should people decide to travel outside of their region. And something else I thought of when you were speaking is just that, you know, there's a lot of people that go to the Caribbean for vacationing, right? And I think that for some people, just the Caribbean is maybe associated with like, you know, beautiful beaches and like really delicious food and cruise ships. But we have to remember that. There's a whole community, hundreds of thousands of people within the Caribbean region that we should be caring more about. If we are able to go to a place and enjoy that place on vacation, then we should also be caring about the local people if we choose to go to vacation in these places. And I think that's something that many of us really need to to work on, is our attitudes towards places where we go on vacation and remembering that. In many of these places, the people may not have the same access and medical access that we do. And caring about that, caring about that, caring about climate change, caring about the different people worldwide.
1: Agreed. Um, thank you for raising the point. Um, in terms of that that exchange rate, does um, that again that falls into the the financial and socioeconomic economic barriers that I've been mentioning throughout the conversation. There is a lot of privilege involved. I know it sounds weird, but there is a lot of privilege involved in terms of if you actually do get endometriosis care and you can access it, because that means you had the financial wherewithal to be able to do that. A lot of people still don't don't have that. So that's one thing we need to consider. And yes, the Caribbean is amazing. We have the best beaches (laughs) and the best food. And the most colourful of carnivals and festivals. But at the end of the day, that's not just what we're about, right? We do have people that have to live in the day-to-day. You know, that's where they live. Raising families are, are trying to make a life for themselves. And so they also need access to good medical care, medical systems with great infrastructure. And so, thank you for sharing that. It's it's really important to recognize that we are are, are a small region. We are, and how I began, we are big in heart, but it would be, I think, helpful to recognize that there are still some things that we are vulnerable to. Recognition of that and more investment in our people, I think, would be a really great outcome. If, if it comes from this conversation in terms of more people being more interested in what endometriosis looks like in the Caribbean and what can we do to help, right? I would love it if that comes from this conversation. So thank you for providing that space.
0: So we've talked about the Caribbean region and now looking at endometriosis care overall, what would you like to see for the future of endometriosis care?
1: Through equity and inclusion in the spaces, in the research space, in the advocacy space, in the legislative space, having more diverse voices included and also being seriously considered in what the path will be moving forward in terms of what the standard of care would look like and that relates to race, gender, place of origin, any other typically minoritized status, true inclusivity and having real representation at the table, whatever that table is, or when other persons are creating their own tables for their communities to support them in those efforts. And really, truly support them and not um, try to take away from those efforts because I think sometimes that does happen, whether or not it happens intentionally. I, I really am confident in the fact that we have a lot of voices within the space, but we also just need to listen to each other a lot more and try to be understanding of each other's circumstances. So true inclusion, true representation, true partnership, I think that's what we need at the end of the day. Especially if we're going to be battling this misinformation and trying to improve the standard of care, we all need to have a general understanding of each other's circumstances and each other's history and each other's background so that we can really move forward effectively. I I think that is one of the things that has been lacking from my observation and i just want us to recognize that we are stronger together we really are stronger together i i am a a believer in if you want to go fast go alone if you want to go far go together so We have been at this for many, many years, some some for long, long years, like Heather for her 30 plus years, and I don't know how she keeps doing it. She is amazing. It's important for us to not lose sight of why we're doing what we're doing in this space. And remember that the goal is improve care for all, everyone, regardless of how people identify or how people present or what their backgrounds are, it's for all. So I think that's what I would like to see, just us recognizing that we need to be more inclusive and recognizing the diversity within the endometriosis space and honoring that.